Sylvia and me. Sylvia and Sylvia and me. Sylvia and me. Sylvia and me. Sylvia and me. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hi, everybody. This is author Wendy Walker, and I am here on Sylvia and Me. Wendy, it is so great to have you back again. You actually were one of my very first podcast episodes a year ago, which, oh my word, how time flies. you're not just a, you know, an author, you're a best-selling international author of psychological thrillers. Yes. And when we spoke the last time, um, we kind of went over, you had dreams when you were, uh, when you were younger. You dreamt of being a, a Olympic figure skater. I mean, these aren't just dreams, dreams where you woke up one day and went, oh, that was a good dream, but you actually went after some of the Olympic skater, finance, legal, uh, you're, um, I don't know whether you're practicing, whether you still have your law um, license, but we did family law. So you've done all of this and you had a dream, something didn't work out, you pushed on to your next dream, which I absolutely love. And from doing all of that comes four best-selling books with film and TV options and an audible book. So what I really want to do is um, kind of, we're in the midst of a pandemic, a pandemic that nobody really knows when we're going to get back to any kind of, I hate saying the word normalcy because I don't know what that is. Yeah. So your new book, which is Don't Look For Me, Mm -hmm. came out Oh, let's say you have a copy of it. I always have a copy of my books with me. <laughs> yes. It came out um, October, September 20th. September 15th, yep. Okay, fine. I'm off by five. <laughs> September 15th. Yep. What, uh, you know, you've written because of what you've done and the, your experiences. When we talk about psychological thrillers, you've actually taken from real life, not specifically your life, but from whether from practicing family law, whether from, you know, the people you were around um, when you were uh, doing your figure skating. So you've talked about memory loss, about narcissism, um, about internet dating and deception. Yes. There's a couple of things that I'd like to go into, one of which your new book came out September 15th. We're in the midst of this pandemic. I know that you used to travel all over on, on book tours to market, to publicize your book. How has this pandemic um, affected what you're doing? Oh, it's affected it in you know, pretty much um, every possible way. Um, so, and for, for not just me, but for anybody with a book that's come out during the pandemic and when the pandemic started and the shutdown started back in March, that's when all of the preview copies for the book were going out to bookstores and reviewers and bloggers on Instagram and Facebook and Goodreads. And so luckily they all got sent out and then the entire office at my publisher shut down and everybody went home. 
um, a lot of authors, their, their boxes of, of uh, review copies were, you know, stuck in those office buildings and didn't get sent out. So they had to use digital copies and, and, and whatnot, but it's just very, it's a very different um, experience. A lot of uh, people like to have a physical copy. They can post with it and they can, you know, the bloggers will post with it and for bookstores as well to have it, you know, in their pile and it's physically there for them to read and decide whether they're going to order. And then of course the bookstore shut down. So I realized early on, I was gonna have to um, sort of utilize the places people could go to search for books because other than sort of Amazon, Barnes and Noble and you know, a couple other um, large uh, you know, sites for books, a lot of people still go to their local bookstores and browse. They go to their local Barnes and Noble even and browse and, and their indie stores, Target, Costco, and they look and they pick it up and they read the back and they feel it. And it's a, you know, that's how they decide. That, whether to it's buy the it. touch, you know, that, that text. Yes. Uh, and if it's on the file. Yeah. And if it's on the front table, new releases, you know, that all okay. those things were gone. So I um, really put my, foot on the gas of Instagram. I decided to pick one venue that seemed to be really picking up steam in terms of um, book blogging. And, uh, and it's a very easy format. Uh, Facebook has so many things on the page and so many ways to interact. Instagram is pretty clean. You know, you can follow someone, people follow you, you can do your stories or your posts and that's it. So I started collecting, um, all of, I made, started a spreadsheet, you know, anybody that was commenting about the book under any hashtag, don't look for me, Wendy Walker, Wendy Walker author. And if they tagged me and, and I was, I kept track of them um, and what they thought of the book. And I made sure I hired an intern to help me keep track of all the uh, likes and to really be, be um, interactive with them. And I think I'm up to about 700 static posts um, and some of the bloggers have posted more than once, but I have a list of about 700 Instagram bloggers now who have read and reviewed and posted about the book. And I reached out to them on my pub date and asked them all to repost. So on September 15th, there was just a flood of my book all over the book community on Instagram. And that was months and months of work. So you know, it was a very targeted um, strategy, and I think it really helped to get the word out about "Don't Look for Me" because um, it was not it was not in bookstores. Even my local bookstores, I checked to see um, if they wanted me to come and sign copies, and they didn't have any because it had fallen through the cracks. They they knew they were sort of opening up a little bit in September, October, um, but the books they ordered were the books that they got and were reviewing over the summer, which was not mine. Mine was back in March, right? So I had to like, you know, basically, you know, talk to my publisher and have them send them books. And it was really crazy. Uh, it just, the bookstore avenue was completely um, closed to me and to but, many others. But one of the things that I want to point out is the fact that you, took the bull by the horns, you didn't just say, oh my, what am I going to do? Um, and you had a plan. Uh, you yeah. looked around, you had a plan and you 
um, executed the plan to a point where, um, this is gonna sound like a nutty question. Oh, there are no nutty questions, only answers. Um, do you think you actually were able to touch more people virtually than Absolutely. had you had to travel to all different, you know? Oh. Well, this is the interesting thing. So then, then the other the other thing I did is I got very good at making videos uh, on on my computer, and I started doing I started interviewing authors, and I started um, putting together sort of fun video uh, pre all the trailers um, that I that are uh, for my book. I did those myself, and I did them for the paperback of my last novel, which came out in the spring. So that was another one I had to promote, and so now you know, I, I really, I, I sort of reached out everywhere I could to capitalize on the Zoom format. And I booked a ton of Zoom events with other authors, which is key. Like there's this, you know, feeling that, of you know, you want it to just be about you. But the reality is that when you pair with other people and you build a community within your business. So my business is writing thrillers. And so I reach out and I try to uh, network and connect with any thriller writer that I possibly can. And I will invite them all on. Like if I'm invited to a bookstore to do a Zoom event, I ask them if immediately, do you want a panel? Would you like two or three other authors? Or should I be in conversation with another author? But let's bring another author in because it's just, it helps the other author. It We, we have a, um, their readers will now be introduced to me. My readers are introduced to them. And, um, and then when they have events, maybe they'll invite me to, uh, you know, to be on, on their event, even if I don't have a book that's, you know, coming out then and new readers will discover me. So that, I, that, that's something, that's something that a lot of people don't understand that they're afraid, the paranoia sets in. Will yeah. they take my readership away? Will they all of a sudden get an idea that I have and, and run with it? Where that's not really the way it is. Yes, there are some people like that, but you know what? They're going to do that no matter what. Yeah. Um, for what you've done, which is get the community together and network and connect with other authors and be able to, um, you know, I'll do this, you do this. That makes things work. That yeah, it does, and it gives you a lot. You might even have some more to write about. Um, yeah. I'm sure you have plenty, but you know, yeah. it's just it's just the whole um, the whole idea of getting together of this communication, even in a time where uh, we can't physically have these events. And I think it's really going to change the way that we do book events going forward because this format allowed me to do, I don't know, somewhere around 30 events uh, from my, my living room and to do them with authors who are all over the world. And in Australia, like, you know, I, I did an event with, with someone in, you know, in Europe. I mean, and it doesn't matter where they are. You, you can, and they're recorded. So the bookstores or the library will put them up and they stay up so that people who are looking for books or they see you, you know, they'll, they can watch it anytime. So, you know, before we were limited to a certain date, you'd have to travel there. If you wanted another author, they would have to ha be able to travel there at the same time. I really think that this is going to be a permanent fixture in, um, in book events is going to be the, the virtual. 
I could be wrong. People could be sick of Zoom and, and want nothing to do with it, but I just have a feeling that that the efficiency of it, the ability of an author to do 30 events in, you know, uh, in, in a few weeks and, ha and have multiple authors and be on panels and do two or three a day sometimes to do an Instagram live and then a Facebook live and then a Zoom event for a bookstore all in one day. Um, just changing, <laughs> changing your shirt. Well, that's it. Yes. You just need a you know, fresh makeup. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You need a whole wardrobe yeah. of just tops. I think a um, lot of it's going to, a lot of it, a lot of things are going to change. I think. Well, it also cuts down on expense. Yes. You don't have true. all that travel expense. Yes. Um, and you don't have that, that wear and tear on, yeah. on yeah. your body, physical, emotional, and, and so on. So having children too. I mean, my son was home and um, as a result of the pandemic, he, his dad um, who has a, a new baby, he, you know, it's not really safe for him to be going back and forth. So he's been with me um, at least, you know, for, you know, the indefinite future. And so had, had I had to travel, um, I don't know what I, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to. So it, um, I think a lot of people who have children and they think about doing a book tour during the school year and, and they avoid it. And that affects their pub dates because, you know, they, and it's, it's interesting now that, that so many things have opened up as things have been closing down. True. And think yeah. about all the people that you've met who you wouldn't have met before. Absolutely. So it's been, um, you know, there's been a little bit of a silver lining there. And also, you know, for the book itself, and for entertainment in general, there's been a little bit of a silver lining with, with the, um, with people being at home and with a lot of the emotions that have been, um, you know, that have been stirred up um, this past year, where people have really needed an escape in a big way. And um, entertainment has been a place where people have been turning to. Uh, allow a little bit of a release of the feelings that we're all feeling, which are anxiety feelings. They're fear. It's, it's fear. It's, it's, um, you know, just, uh, and fear about so many things, fear about your safety, fear about your financial situation, fear about your children. Uh, and then the loss, right? There's a huge loss. I remember the first time I saw my my uh, group of friends in person and we were outside on a deck and we stayed six feet apart. We hadn't seen each other for, you know, five or six weeks. We'd been zooming, but we hadn't physically seen each other. And I, I, I almost cried. I felt a, such an emotional reaction seeing them in person. It's so different. And we're, I mean, it's just a, so many emotions people are feeling. Um, these past eight months, and they have turned to books and television and films um, to sort of allow those feelings to come out in a way that has nothing to do with the situation or with their own lives. So it's like a safe way to cry, to feel anxiety, to feel fear. Um, it has nothing to do with your life when it's over, it's over. You don't have to go and save you know, Molly Clark in my novel, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go save the world from a, you know, a terrorist plot. You can just watch somebody do it on TV. Like that allows like a, a release of, um, a release of emotion that we all so desperately need right now. Desperately. You started something um, that you hadn't done before. 
you've actually put out a, an audible book. Yes. How did that come about? So um, <laughs> when I, uh, you know, started uh, the new year, I had just finished a novel and I'm out of contract. So we were, you know, sort of taking it around a little bit and just, I, we waited until March, but even then it was just so clear. This is not a time to be entering into a, a new contract with, you know, an old pub with my, with my current publisher, or, you know, if they are not interested or it doesn't work out a new relationship with a new publisher, it's just not the right time. Nobody knows uh, what their financial situation is. Uh, yes, publishers are buying books, but if you can wait and, and let the dust settle and let everyone sort of see what the future might hold, not just in terms of financial deals, but in terms of what people are predicting is going to be popular and the types of books people are going to want to read, which is always hard to predict. But, you know, there, there are definitely some trends that we are seeing now that are new and resulting from the pandemic. So it was, it was time to hit pause on doing a major book deal, um, but I wanted to make use of my time other than promoting and Audible um, has just been exploding audiobooks in general. And Audible is just is one of um, one distributor of audiobooks. They decided to start making their own because they have a subscription program and they wanted to be able to offer content for free as a way of attracting customers and giving them a benefit for their membership. It's almost like a like Netflix, but then after you've watched a certain number of shows, you'd have to buy more. And that's how Audible works. So you go, you get your subscription, you get a certain number of free listens, and then you can buy more. And so they have been buying, um, buying their own content instead of just licensing it from the publishers um, who make audiobooks. And so they, they approached us a while ago and we, you know, it was on the back back burner and it was just the perfect time this summer to just and the perfect time to do a short novella it's a they're they're shorts so it's like like two and a half hours to listen to and maybe the quarter of a length of a full novel but I also had this when I was coming up with new book ideas I had this amazing idea for the character in All Is Not Forgotten my narrator Dr. Alan Forrester and it was just this really sort of poignant story about him and a great twist and I knew it would be difficult to pull it into a full-length novel uh, and so when this opportunity came up I I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna like take this great time that I have now to do something like this and this story that is so perfect for a short and it was joyful like writing him again was just absolutely joyful he was my first um, thriller um, character and he is what helped me break into this business full-time as a full-time writer and and I he is my voice like he just is so much of me and so writing him again felt like coming home it was just such a great experience and they have audible's been amazing and the and it's doing really well it's made the top 10 in fiction for all audible books like all fiction, um, and which was so exciting to see. It just came out October 1st. So yeah, it's been, a, it, that has been um, a really, really nice experience uh, and something that definitely came out of the pandemic. So um, talk a little bit about um, 
uh, hold your breath, which is uh, the audible. Um, and the connection to All Is Not Forgotten, you have, uh, you use the same character who was really great. And memory loss, because we had talked about this about a year ago. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that, because it's something that people might not understand exactly what that is. Yeah, so um, the the whole premise behind All Is Not Forgotten has to do with the reconsolidation of memory. And I stumbled on the idea, I think it was back in 2011, I read an article in the New York Times about how they were really beginning to understand how memories are stored and how they can be altered when they are recalled. So it kind of works like this. The memory is stored in all different parts of your brain, sight, sound, um, feel, you know, um, relationships, like all these different parts of the brain that are responsible for these different senses. When you try to recall the memory, the neurons fire up and they communicate through the synapses and then they try to bring this picture back together for you so you can remember all the parts of it. But while it is being remembered, it's, a, it's as if you pulled a document up into your screen from storage, like a Word document or something like that. So now you have your document up there and it can be changed. And this is what they realize. They call it reconsolidation. And what your brain does is it updates that memory to be the most useful to you now. So if you are, let's say, you remembered it or you wanted to remember it because um, you know there was something about it that reminded you of something else that's just happened in your life. Your brain will focus on those things that are similar and it may even make them more similar than they actually were. If you were to play the video of that memory from 20 years ago, it may play very differently than how it is now playing when you've remembered it, trying to connect it to a current event because your brain wants to make that connection. And when it goes back into storage, it will go back in that altered state as if you had retyped some things in your Word document, hit save. It goes back changed, it's changed forever. And this is why family members will often remember a family event so differently because they've all been recalling it and reconsolidating it over years and years. So if there was a big family event that where there was a fight or something that was something particularly, you know, memorable, like mom burned the turkey one Thanksgiving or something like that, everybody will remember the details in a different way. And mom may not even remember that she burned the turkey because maybe that's something that, she, that, that upset her or you know she doesn't wanna remember. And she may not even remember it because it caused her pain. And so her brain conveniently you know, changed the events of that evening for her. Um, so All Is Not Forgotten uh, tried to examine um, this notion that we could use these tools uh, to mitigate PTSD in uh, people who have suffered trauma, which is a wonderful, wonderful tool. And they are doing that. It is, it is, it's been moving forward even since I wrote the book with all different techniques of reconsolidating the emotional component of a memory. So it goes back into storage, less charged, less traumatic. Um, and 
but the the thing that I wanted to examine is if you applied that to the survivor of a uh, you know a crime, would you then compromise the survivor's ability to seek justice? Because that's obviously compromising that would be her her or him as a witness um, in a trial. Uh, and possibly even um, making it difficult to find the, the assailant if you have altered the memory. And so this book takes it a little bit further and asks the question, what if we could give some sort of medication or a com combination of these medications that we know prevent memories from being stored at all? And if we gave it to someone right after a violent attack so that it never went into long-term memory to begin with. And so that is what happens with Jenny Kramer in All Is Not Forgotten. She's a teenage girl who is sexually assaulted at a party in the woods and it's a brutal attack and her parents are devastated and they decide to give her this drug. And the drug um, does prevent the memories from being stored. It's sort of like, you know, what happens if you've taken um, rohypnol or someone's given you rohypnol or if you've had too much to drink, you know, and, you, and you're assaulted and you are awake, but you don't have a memory of it. It's a very similar concept. And so all of those things, like what does it mean to have been the, the sort of survivor of this attack, but have no factual memory or, an, or any real emotional memory that's attached to it? Yeah. So that was always not forgotten. And the doctor who was uh, involved in helping her in the aftermath of that, the emotional fallout from that, and helping her try to regain pieces of the memory that might still be there, but just floating around, not connected to anything. So she can't recall them. He's the narrator of that book. And it's very traumatic. It's a very traumatic um, situation for him. And so three years later, we find him in Hold Your Breath, and he is not doing so well. Then he gets a patient um, who seeks him out to recover the memory um, of a night where she is almost the, um, the victim of a serial killer. So he's back. He's pulled back into doing this memory recovery. It's really, it's a very fast-paced twisty, super twisty plot. I use all the tools of writing psychological thrillers. Well, yes, you do. And the <laughs> thing is that some people on that particular one might want to be able to do something and kind of wipe out the last eight months. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> no, but, uh, but like you were saying, uh, you've been able to adapt and that that is one of the tools of persevering and being able to inspire and move on. And that is taking a situation and being able to say, okay, I can't do it this way anymore. This is what's taking place. I need to now move the curve over here. I need to make you know, a left turn instead of a right. Um, you know, a lot of us live on planning. I don't, but you know, planning, 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 and then all of a sudden the carpet's ripped out. Um, and unfortunately for so many people, they can't, um, they can't function. And this has been a, a time where uh, what you decided to do and how you pulled together all of these other um, authors um, and been able to help yourself and, and get to so many more people than you probably would have been able to had you not. 
So that's, that to me is a huge message to anyone who's listening um, because life does throw us a lot of curves. Uh, and to be able to have that, um, you know, that wherewithal within you to be able to say, okay, um, this is what I need to do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that I think that uh, writing, my, my journey to becoming a writer prepared me for, um, you know, for making this, this, these changes. Um, and, and also, you know, Don't Look For Me, which is the, the novel that came out in September. Uh, that book is very much about uh, survival. It's a, the story of a, a wife and mother who's abducted and everyone is led to believe that she walked away from her life. And there's a lot to support that. She, this whole family has been unraveling because there was a tragic accident five years before that took the life of the youngest child. And so the, everybody has been sort of just spinning their wheels in grief and guilt over the accident and especially the mother, Molly Clark. And so everyone sort of believes that she just had had enough and she has had, you know, has just walked away except for her daughter, Nicole, who is 21 and she herself is lost. She's been, you know, abusing alcohol and men and just, she's a mess and she gets a new lead and she goes back to this really eerie, desolate small town to search at her search for her mother at all cost. And what I think is appealing to people about the book, which I had not anticipated because I wrote it before COVID, is that this survival story, these two women, mother and daughter, and you hear from both of them throughout the book, are fighting not just to escape captivity or to find, find her mother, but they're fighting also to get their family back. And they, this forced separation has made them both realize how much they love each other and how much they want to fight for their family and what it's worth. And that, I think that's resonating because aren't we all feeling that the loss, these, the loss of, of relationships, um, not being able to, to see people, not being able to be together. I, you know, my own family, we get together twice a year, the whole family, it's a real loss and it makes you value those relationships and those people. So, um, you know, these, I think people are going to come out of the pandemic with more resilience, having to, having had to make all of these changes to make their lives work, uh, but also with a new appreciation for relationships and for the ability um, to be together. So I know I will. Well, I, I so agree with you. Um, Wendy, on that note, which is such a nice upbeat note, I thank you. Um, it's, a, it's always a pleasure having you on um, and having a great conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. On our next podcast, I'll be talking to another extraordinary, inspiring woman who has made her mark on the world. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, our website, sylviaandme.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to keep up with the latest episodes. Review, rate, and take us with you wherever you are. I want to hear from you. If you know of an extraordinary, inspiring woman, please contact me at sylvia at lifeofprey.com. 
You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. This has been a Life of Prey production.